you do not know me. Um, but tonight we're starting off a brand new series um, called Faith, Hope and Love, because it's Christmas and why not? Um, but I, I like these, these topics because I was thinking about them on the way to church tonight. I'm thinking these, these ideas, faith, hope, love, um, you know, we, we see them written everywhere, really. They're, they're such popular words in secular culture as well as Christianity. Uh, but the reality of them and, and the experience of them more than anything, is, is really the culture of, of heaven, is the culture of the kingdom of God, is the culture of, of God's people, what he wants uh, us to engender uh, and what he gives us in that process as well. And so, you know, I always think when, when people encounter a Christian, when people encounter someone from our church, um, you know, I'd love for them to think of those three words, that they're, they're faithful people, they're full of hope, they're full of love. Those, those three things are like things that are cultural kind of, baseline things that that we are and you sort of look on the outside of what of what uh, we're doing faith tonight but what a faith-filled person is and and really they come across as almost annoyingly positive at times like um but not not in a fake way i don't think um you know like they're sort of positive people they're encouraging people to be around the people you want to be around you know they're not people that have like a real moan in their spirit about life and i don't know if you kind of you maybe you know someone or you've you've been in conversations with people before where you sort of you, you sort of talk and, and there's just there's just a negativity underlying the conversation. There's just like a complaint, a, a, a moan. It's almost like they could just drawl through the whole conversation. Like and you kind of you don't want to be around people like that. You want to get way away from people like that. <laughs> um, but people that are positive, that are engaging, that that are energetic, that have this sense of of life and encouragement about them. You you walk away from conversations with them and you feel better about yourself. And that's exactly where faith comes into play. It's not, not about personality. It's not about outgoing or introverted. It's about something really deep down in our spirit. And uh, Jesus, was, Jesus thought of this when he um, was walking through life with his disciples on earth. And I've told this story before in church about when Jesus fed 5,000 people. And when he fed 5,000 people and did this miracle where he multiplied bread and fish and all this sort of stuff, it was a, I mean, it would have been a pretty amazing miracle to be part of. But after that, the disciples were with Jesus in a boat and had, had run out of bread. And there wasn't 5,000 people then, there was 12 people. There was just, actually, there was 13 because Jesus was there as well. And maybe that was the problem, it was an unlucky number. And uh, but there was 12, 13 people and they didn't have bread and they were freaking out. And, and Jesus kind of looked at them almost incredulously, like, you've, you've been part of some pretty miraculous things and here you are worried about bread. I fed 5,000 people, of course I can feed you guys, like it's not a big deal. And he sits there and he's hearing them complaining and moaning and groaning and grumbling because they're hungry and, and they haven't got that spirit of faith in the inside of them. And he says this really clear statement. He says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And he later on says that leaven of the Pharisees is unbelief. And, and leaven's like a term in baking and, and bread, but if you think about yeast or something like that, like if you get a big lump of dough and you put this tiny little piece of yeast in it, I mean, who makes their own bread at home? No one nowadays. Like Mel does. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, none of us make bread, right? Except for Mel. <laughs> but uh, you know, if we were to make bread, we'd know exactly what Jesus was talking about. Uh, but basically, when they get these sort of big lumps of dough and put this tiny little piece of yeast in it and leave it overnight. And, and you didn't, they wouldn't have to do anything to that yeast to make it go throughout the whole dough. It just, it just would automatically, like this chemical reaction where it spreads. And, uh, and that's exactly what his, he says unbelief is like in our heart. It starts off with a little niggle, a little, 
a little groan, a little moan, a little complaint. And if we're not careful, that actually spreads throughout our whole life. We become down negative people. But so does faith. And if we replace that groan, that negativity, with the faith that comes from Jesus, the faith in God, just a tiny little bit of it, we don't need a lot, just a bit. If that little root is right down in there and it's faith, it actually spreads in our life as well. And we find that once we were negative, now we're positive. Once we you know, had a groan about life, now, now we're encouraged and hopeful and positive about the future. And that actually comes out in a lot of areas in our life. And that's why faith is so important and why Jesus wants us all to have it. And uh, this uh, verse we're looking at tonight is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. You can look it up on the screen. Uh, and Paul's writing here to the Corinthian church and he says, So now faith, hope and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. He mentions faith, hope, and love a whole lot of times in the New Testament. Over, I think, five or six times he groups these three things and talks about the relationship between them together, which is why it's important for us to talk about it uh, and for us to have it in our own life. But when I think about how they, how they relate, I think faith is, is a really key kind of first step for us to talk about. And, uh, and I encountered uh, the importance of faith a couple of years ago when we visited England and uh, I had a, a conversation with a, a mentor of mine and, uh, who's, who's a bit older than me and he's been through a bit more of life. And we were sort of chatting and talking about things and I asked him a question, which is always a bit precarious to ask as a young person. You kind of go, you know that question you ask, people always tell you you should ask it, but you never really want to ask it, is, uh, you know, so if you were to give you know, any one piece of advice to our generation, what would it be, you know? It's always a bit of a scary question to ask. And I said it a little bit differently. I said, you know, if you think we lack one thing, what do you reckon it is? And uh, he answered the question almost, almost before I'd finished asking the question. <laughs> he just jumped it and he said, faith, straight away, faith. He said, you guys are brilliant in every way, but you lack faith. When the going gets tough, when things go wrong, you let that affect you too much. You don't have faith. <laughs> And it kind of hit me a bit because I thought, I think we do. I think we're pretty good in life. And I realized I probably didn't have a, a depth of it that he was talking about. And I went on a bit of a journey to understand what it was. And I read this verse in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 2, about faith. And it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. What does this have to do with what we're talking about tonight? I like that last sentence. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. This is just what my mentor was talking about as well. He said, the thing that you lack is faith. And because he was looking back at his life, at his peers' life, at all the people he'd been around, the people that had been successful in life, the people that had achieved some great things, and he recognized that the thing that made them achieve those things was faith. And he looked at our lives and went, that's the thing you're going to lack. That's the thing you need most of all. You need faith. And so does Paul, or whoever, it wasn't Paul, sorry. So was the writer of Hebrews. When, when he wrote this, he said, by it, the people of old received their commendation. He looked previously as well and went, all these people, Moses, David, Joshua, uh, I don't know, Joseph, Rahab, listed like tens of people, Gideon, etc. He said, they achieved what they achieved through faith. By faith, they were successful in their life for their thing, for their calling. Some of these people stopped the mouths of lions. Some of them 
you know, uh, led a whole nation into victory. Some of them lived a wonderful, faithful life by themselves and prayed daily and did all different things. But these people sought God and lived a life of faith. And it, it was faith that made them successful more than anything else. This is what Hebrews says. He says, Faith is then the assurance, the conviction, the confidence of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We need faith to achieve anything in life, is what this says. Is this what we grow up believing? I know it's probably not what I grew up believing. When, when I was dreaming of my future as a kid, you know, I remember every, about every year I would change what I wanted to be when I grew up. You know, I think at uh, age 13, I, I was really obsessed with Lord of the Rings. So I was like, I'm going to become just like J.R. Tolkien and I'm going to study linguistics at Oxford University because that is the future, man. You know? And then, you know, only gave me nine or 12 months and that changed completely. And I thought, I'm going to be a political scientist and then I'm going to be, I don't know, an anthropologist and then an economist and a banker and then all these different things. I come up with all these different ideas and every six months I'd change it. But every time I came up with my dream or what success looked like for me, I would think and go, how do I get there? And I would look at what other people had done. I'd look at what degree I might need to get there. And I think I've got to spend this long at uni, get these sorts of marks, you know, meet these sorts of people and get this sort of job. And you could pave out the way to success. We do that, don't we? In our own various ways. We go, if I want to be here, how do I get there? And we, we, we mark it out. We think of the method. We hardly ever think of the intangible things that actually help us get there in life. But who knows, um, there's this great book written, you might have heard of it, called uh, What I Didn't Learn at School But Wish I Had. And it was uh, written by a guy who'd grown up through school and learned so much, done really well, but realized that they taught him nothing about money. And so he wrote a book about money, what he wished he learned to do at school. Because he realized that he could earn a lot of money, but had no idea how to manage his own money because he'd never learned it. And this is the case in other areas of our life as well. There are things we recognize as adults that are actually key to our life to succeed that we don't learn through school, through our careers, through methodology necessarily. Like, it's great to get along with people. Hopefully we learned that in kindergarten, not high school. Uh, you know, like, you know, these things that we're talking about tonight, faith, hope, and love, they actually define our life. And this element of faith relates to us achieving anything in life. And there's a writer, a secular writer called Napoleon Hill that recognized this idea as well. And he wrote a, a, a book called Think and Grow Rich. And basically, he interviewed uh, hundreds of the world's millionaires back in like the early 1900s, over 100 years ago. He interviewed loads of them. And he wanted to connect the dots and see these guys who are, by the world standard, successful. I want to know what links them all. What's the same in all of them? What makes them common? And he, it wasn't, he realized it wasn't the degrees that they did. It wasn't the family upbringing they had. It wasn't the kind of schools they went to. It wasn't any of the things that by the normal world standards they would be. He said that what it was was they had a firm mental foundation and belief in their future. Basically, he said that these people, all of them, had basically written down early on in their life where they wanted to be and every day would meditate on that, visualize it, and think it until it became a reality. They, it would just, there'd be no other option in their mind except for that thing. And that would happen way before they were successful, and that became success for them. We recognize that same sort of thing happening in, uh, in Michael Phelps talked about it, actually, when he won, I don't know, was it 12 Olympic golds, and I think the Beijing Olympics, or was it the London Olympics, one of those ones, years ago. 
Uh, he uh, said, when they interviewed him and said, what is it like winning that gold medal? How did you get there? He said, but I, I'd won it over a hundred times in my mind beforehand. He'd visualized it. He'd thought of it. He convinced himself he'd been there first in his mind. He had that conviction of the thing that he hoped for, and it came about in his life later on. Now, this is just what's in our own human power, our own mental abilities. But when faith is rooted in our belief in God, it's way more powerful. It's, it's way more directed. It's way more purposeful. It's got God's hands in it, and it has way more uh, meaning in our life than even just these things. But I think it's important to recognize that the same principles are recognized by even the secular world. To say that the intangible things matter in life a lot. We can do all the right things and not have the right belief system in our mind and our life can fall to pieces. But if we have the right belief system in our heads, in our hearts, it doesn't matter what happens, we can always plow through and always get through to achieve what we are called to achieve in life. And so this is why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13, So now faith, hope and love abide. They never fail. They never leave. These are the things that last, he says. Faith, hope, and love. If you build a life built on faith, hope, and love, it is built to last. It is not going to fall apart. It is not going to shake. It is not going to crumble. I think, I'm going to talk about this next week when we talk about hope, but I think hope is like the foundation of life that... Uh, that, that we, we need. And, 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 and hope comes before almost anything else, just a, a, a desire and a belief that something could be better. And then faith is that thing that brings something out of nothing. It is a belief that happens in our heads and our hearts way before the thing actually comes to pass. And it is like, if you think about building, it's like you, you lay the foundation, which is hope, and you build the building, which is faith. And it is love that builds it all, which we'll talk about at the end, through Jesus. But, we build our lives through faith. But there is one thing that comes and attacks faith more than anything else, and that's fear. And fear comes in all shapes and sizes. And some fears are absolutely extreme. They say that the fastest growing fear today is the fear of talking on the telephone, apparently. Maybe we can relate to that. I can. <laughs> and uh, I hate making phone calls. I always prefer to message. But then you know, it just takes so long. And then you think, oh, I'm going to make a phone call <laughs> instead. But it is, it is what the fastest growing fear, apparently. But one of my key fears, uh, one of the fears I'm most extremely afraid of is birds. Uh, because when I was five years old, we went, my family and I went to a, a bird, I call it a bird cage, but it was like uh, a wildlife sanctuary. And uh, I always think this is like criminal, you know, to do to a, to a five-year-old. But um, we went into this bird sanctuary, which is like a big... What do you call them? A big aviary, but like big, you know, like Jurassic Park big. And, uh, and there's all these birds there. And my sister, who's a couple of years older than me, threw bird seed all over me. And of course, what happens at those places? The birds just go flock down and, you know, and it freaked me out. And I had early childhood memories of this thing. So now, whenever I have a bird flying near me, even like a pigeon, I just have this involuntary flinching reaction. And I'm, I'm a little bit scared of birds. So um, whereas my wife is scared of snakes. You know, this is her fear. You know, when it, we used to be driving in the car in Australia and, uh, and, and I would mention snakes and just some story I was telling and she'd lift her feet off the, off the pedals and freak out because she's scared of snakes. We've all got kind of fears. Some people are scared of heights. Some people are scared of, of speaking in public or, I don't know, 
other things as well, small spaces, claustrophobia, or all these different things. And these are extreme things that we recognize, and we actually often are okay with them because we can go through life avoiding them. Unless you're in London and there's pigeons everywhere, but you can avoid these things mostly in life. Uh, but some things we can't. And these are the fears we deal with every day that come in different forms. And they come in forms with different words that we call things like stress, worry, anxiety, doubt. All these things are actually rooted in fear as well. But it's quite common and acceptable to say, I'm stressed. If I say, I'm fearful, we live in a culture that says, oh, you've got to face your fear. <laughs> if, you're, if I'm scared of heights, oh, maybe we should go skydiving. <laughs> but if I say, oh, I'm stressed, it's an acceptable thing to be stressed in life. Oh, I'm worried. Yeah, because we, we, everyone relates to these things. I'm stressed, I'm worried, I'm, I'm, I'm anxious, I'm doubtful. These are acceptable fears we have in our life, but they actually attack our faith. They attack our belief that something can get better. They attack the thing that is going to make life better for us all the time. And why are they related to fear? Things like stress basically say, I, I'm, you know, if, if I'm stressed because I've got so much on at work and I've got a lot on my plate I'm, and I may not get it all done, I'm basically fearful deep down that either maybe I'm not good enough or maybe I'm not going to be able to get it all done or what will happen if I don't. There's some, there's some little fear attached to the outcome not happening the way it should be. If I'm doubtful, I fear I'm not good enough or things won't work out. If I'm worried or anxious, I'm fearful that uh, a certain outcome will not happen. But Paul again writes in the book of Timothy and tries to counteract this to his disciple called Timothy. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, he says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He said, basically, you were not created fearful. You weren't. You were not created with a lack of confidence. Not a single person was. Now, I'm an introvert. I'm a, a really introverted person. My sister is an extrovert. And growing up at parties, I would, we would go to parties as kids, as young as sort of six, six or seven, and I would hide behind my sister and I would cling to her because I hated being around big groups of people. And my mum trained me. She said it was rude. And she said, you must at least say, hello, how are you? And so I go to these parties and go, hello, how are you? And then hide behind my sister again. Yeah. But, uh, but I wasn't born like that. When I was born, I came out screaming, didn't I? <laughs> I was born confident. But something happens to us. And we each have different things that happen to us that, that locks us up. And, and I, that happened to me. And maybe it happened to you. Not any, none of us, none of us was born with a confidence issue. If you wanted something, you told your mom that you needed something. You screamed, you cried, you yelled. Some of us now don't do that. Some of us do it too much. <laughs> but, but we don't. We, something changed. Something created us. Something made us timid. Something shut us up on the inside. And we need to be born again to get that confidence that God intended for us back in our spirit, back in our soul. And this happened to me. I, was, I, was, I went through life and I got really timid and really unconfident in life. And I was so scared even to talk to people. And, uh, and throughout school, I, I developed a, a stutter actually because I, because I had a root of fear in my life. And, and I couldn't say a sentence without stammering over my words like that, literally. And, uh, and it went through till I was about 12 or 13 years of age. And, and, I, and I had 
I didn't have a lo- loads of friends. I had a few close friends, but I wasn't the popular guy at school. And uh, it, it got to a stage that was so bad that I became the library captain at school. And it was like, wow, you know things about it if you're the library captain. And uh, thankfully, Jesus saved me in this moment. And I, <laughs> he did. I, but it, it, it encapsulates who I was. And uh, I preferred to find solace in books than by myself. Uh, but when I was 14 years of age, I went to a church. I was inf- invited there, actually, by, by a non-Christian friend of mine because uh, they had a big event on. And then I got invited back because my sister also knew someone that went there a couple of months later. And I went along and I looked around at these young people, hundreds of them. It's the church that we come from in Brisbane, hundreds of them. And they were all engaged in the message that was being preached. They were all hungry to know God. And they all looked confident and like they had this joy that was on the inside of them, regardless of their personality, that I didn't have. And the message really hit me deep in my heart, and I realized that I needed Jesus in my life. And I put up my hands, and I prayed a prayer, and my whole life turned around from that point forward. And Jesus took me on a journey after that to show me the areas in my life and the times in my life that I got locked up, that I stopped being the man that he created me to be. And he actually showed me really specific uh, points in my life over a period of years where I looked back and I remember being in this place when I would have been six or seven years of age and, and I was uh, in this part of my school and an older boy looked at me and pulled a funny face. Now, as an adult now, I think that probably happens all the time and that kid was just, just a bit of a 12-year-old that pulls funny faces at people. But as a six-year-old, it was like this early childhood thing that happened to me that I took that on as people think that I'm not that great. And it locked me up. And I remember it. I remember it now. So it must have been a, a really important thing for me. And I remember this thing, maybe it was about 16, 17. God showed me that moment in my life and actually went, that wasn't the truth. That locked you up, but it was not the truth. And God had to unlock me using the same sort of scripture that God did not give me a spirit of fear. It got put on me. He gave me a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind, of self-control. That frees me from all those things that the world would seek to put on us, that the devil would put on us through our experiences in life. And if we don't be careful, we can pick up those things in our life that God never intended for us to be, to be there, ever. And Jesus wants to free us from all those things and put inside of us a spirit of confidence. And so through a period, I remember... When I got filled with the Holy Spirit, when I met the Holy Spirit for the first time at age 15, my stutter disappeared completely. I didn't have that problem anymore because on the inside of me, I had a power that was bigger than what was on the outside. I wasn't fearful and timid. I started being able to make friends and talk to people. I started being able to speak in public. I I had all these fears that I had in my life start to fall off me. And now I can go to a party and I might not be the life of the party, no, I'm not the one dancing in the middle like my wife is. But I know that I'm, I am an introvert. I prefer to talk to two, three, four people and have a deeper conversation than talk to loads of different people. But that's just a preference, not because I'm scared. And now I can talk to people confidently that I've never met before. Now I can have great conversations with people. I can go to a party and not hide behind my sister because I've got God inside me and, and he changed me from the inside out. I realized that. But... I think the world deals with this in the wrong way because this confidence, the Bible calls faith. 
And Jesus, when he spoke to his disciples about faith, he said a very simple statement. He just said, have faith in God. It's so simple. <laughs> just, have, just have it. Just have faith in God. Have faith in God. I think the world focuses on the first bit. It says, have faith. We call it, we, we say to people, if, if they're timid in life, we say, you need some self-confidence, don't we? We train uh, our kids uh, through school. You would have had it in your, in your schools at different times or through different programs to have a sense of self-worth, of self-confidence. Now, these things are great to have, and we, I believe that we should have them. But I think we reach the end of that very easily in our life. Because if me and myself is where my confidence lies, there's an end. There's times in life that doesn't feel good enough. How does that help when I'm struggling with who I am? How does that help when I have self-doubt? How does it help when I reach the end of my own abilities? And we had a friend uh, come over maybe a year ago and talk about this in, in her life. And she's sitting on our couch and uh, she'd been through quite a lot of stuff and she, she'd recognized that actually she was in a place in life that, that she was really struggling. And in her words, she said, I don't have... I don't have any purpose. I don't, I don't, don't know my, my direction in life anymore. And actually, uh, I said to her, I said, oh, well, when I recognize I don't have something, I usually find someone I know that has what I want and ask them how they got it. And she said, well, the only people that I know that has, have purpose in life are, are you and Shelley. <laughs> and I said, well, I hate to break it to you, but the only reason I have purpose is because of Jesus. And I started talking about Jesus to her, and she kind of didn't like that answer. Um, but, but she said, she kind of, I, I, rec- I, see, I see that. She said, I, I see that. She said, I think I just, I just, I think I just need self-confidence. And I said to her, the trouble with that is you reach the end of that eventually. And what happens then? That's why when Jesus said, have faith in God, he didn't just say, have faith. Because when we struggle in life and we're doubtful in life, some people come around us and say, you've got to have faith, you've got to have faith, you've got to have faith. And that's great. But sometimes I struggle to have faith. I don't know about you. Sometimes when I go through things in life, it's hard to believe it's going to change. It's, it, you can get pretty down. But Jesus doesn't just say, have faith. That relies on me way too much and my ability to keep up, to encourage myself and lift my head all the time and keep positive. And if I put that on myself, that's too hard. I mean, I'm not an endlessly positive person. I don't want to be that, and I, and I can't be that. But when Jesus says, have faith, he doesn't just say, have faith in, have, he says, have faith in God. And that's the emphasis Jesus says. Have faith in God. Don't have faith in yourself. Have faith in God. When Paul wrote to Timothy and said, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control, he was trying to address all these different fears that we can have. I think we have a fear, we can easily have a fear of failure. We feel like something's not going to work out or it's not going to be successful. But really, when we have a fear of failure and we're worried that something's going to fail, it's because we've placed our faith in success. We've placed our hope in success and we think that's going to be all the answers in our life. But Jesus doesn't say have faith in success. He says have faith in God because there's going to be times in our life that we're successful and times in our life that we fail. But God is never changing. When he says, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love, it's because sometimes we have a fear of not being loved. I had it. I recognized that I had 
confidence issues in my life because there were times that I didn't feel accepted, that I didn't feel loved, that I didn't feel like I was part of the group, that I was the odd one out and different things. And I, I went through that as a kid. But it's because my faith was in other people and how they saw me. I, my self-importance, my self-worth was all caught up in how they viewed me. And if they didn't view me great, then I had, I had nothing. But he doesn't say have faith in other people. He says have faith in God. When Paul says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of self-control, it's because sometimes we have a fear of not being in control, of not, things not working out, of not being able to do something about something. But who knows, there are a lot of things in life that are outside of our control. I mean, whether we like it or not, we kind of pretend that we can do a lot of things in life. But there are loads of things that are outside of our control. Like our parents. You couldn't choose them. <laughs> you could choose your friends but not your family. Where you were born. The place you were born. The people you grew up with. You didn't choose any of this stuff. We like to think we can, we can break out. And of course we can. But there are some things that are outside of our control. There are big macroeconomic forces that, that change our financial stability sometimes. There are wars that happen. There are all different things from small to big that are completely outside of our control. So we can easily have a fear of not being in control. Like, I'm going to be powerless one day. But that's because our faith is in ourselves sometimes a little bit too much. But Jesus says, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Hebrews says that it is impossible to please God without faith. Impossible. And we can look at that idea and go, well, then I've got to have faith. I've got to make that happen myself. I've got to, you know, oh, I, I can analyze my faith and go, oh, I'm just, I doubt too much. God mustn't love me. I mustn't, God mustn't be pleased with me. But that's not the case at all because the writer of Hebrews actually goes on. He says, it's impossible to please God without faith because, he says, because to approach God, you need to believe in him and believe that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. That's all you need. Do you believe in God? Yeah. Yeah. And do you believe that he rewards those who seek him? Well, that's why you pray to him. <laughs> Even the fact that you're asking God means you've got enough faith. That's it. So hold on to it. Possess it. Don't let it go, the little bit that we have. And it will grow and it will develop and it will change our life forever if we have faith in the everlasting God. When we have our faith in God and not ourself and not other people and not success and not all these other things that will always disappoint, we can be amazed that God would do us such a thing as dying on a cross for me. And we can actually recognize that I am, I am more loved than I would ever have dared hope for. And that actually gives us that confidence that is the outworking of faith. It gives us the positivity that's the outworking of faith. It gives us the encouragement that is the outworking of faith. But faith is just the seed on the inside. So rather than saying, I need to be a more a positive, positive person, actually, I need to just realize what Jesus has done for me more and more and feel the love that he's actually poured out for me already so that that faith in him is there rather than faith in all these other things. Why don't we stand to our feet and pray?
as we come to a close. You can uh, close your eyes, maybe lift your hands if you're comfortable, but we like to close our eyes just to give people a moment of, uh, of privacy, really. As we, just, we like to pray at the end of our service and just respond to something in the message that might have hit, hit each and every one of us. And maybe you're here tonight and um, you recognize that maybe your faith is in one of those things we mentioned, faith in success, faith in other people, faith in, in yourself even, but it needs to be in, in God. Why don't you just make that shift in your heart right now while no one else is looking around? Why don't you just pray a prayer to God in your heart and just say, Jesus, I'm going to put my faith in you rather than those things. We recognize that we have a misplaced faith when we have those things that we label as stress, anxiety, worry in our life. You can face some very hard circumstances in your job that people would normally feel stressed and worried and anxious about and face them with peace and calm when your faith is in Jesus. Whenever I have that niggling feeling of stress, worry, anxiety, doubt, I know that I need to go to Jesus and put my faith back in Him because He doesn't want me to feel those things because He didn't give me a spirit of fear. He gave me a spirit of power, love and self-control that come from Him. Why don't you notice those things in your life that you're feeling stressed, worried, anxious about? We're going to pray over them right now. Why don't you just sort of put your hands out to God like, like you're giving them to Him. God, I give you my financial world that I'm stressed about. God, I give you my worry of the future. I don't know whether this thing that I want will happen or not. I give it to you. God, I give to you my anxiety about what I have to face tomorrow. Some people might be anxious and worried about Christmas, what that will look like for them, what they'll feel on that day. It could be anything. It could be a fear. Why don't you give it to God? I'm going to pray. God, we thank you. You're with us tonight. You love every one of us so much that you died on a cross for us. And... Uh, we recognize that so much of our life is just a response to what you've already done. And Jesus, you died on the cross. You poured out your life for us so that we would be free from all these things. And I pray, Jesus, as we give you the things we're anxious, worried, or doubtful about, that God, you would just fill that gap with your love and faith right now in the hearts of every person here. We pray that just like that song says, that faith would rise up and our hearts would believe that faith would rise up in every single one of us, God. So that our faith would be in you, the hope of a great future. God wants to take out some fears and some doubts and some of your minds about what your future looks like. You think, actually, there's some people here tonight, I can tell, like God's saying to me, that you think that your future's kind of washed up, like you had your chances previously and it didn't work out so that really you've just kind of got to bide your time for the rest of life and God hasn't kind of got a great plan for you anymore. Got the things that you want in life. You know, God has not forgotten your desires. He's not forgotten them. He takes great joy in redeeming your life. 
as you place your faith in him, as you let go of the past, God is actually going to do a great miraculous work in your life so you can turn around in a year, two years, three years and really praise him for the fulfillment of those desires that are in your heart because he put them there. They're not just from you. He put them there. Holy Spirit.